Non, c'est ce que je disais. Oui, moi, c'est bâti, c'est de la blague. Après tout, tout est beau. Il n'y a qu'à s'intéresser aux choses et les trouver belles. The time has come. Catherine Bigelow! This and some of the other nice things that have happened to me in the last couple of days may turn me into some sort of hopeful optimist and ruin my whole life. Spoil? <laughs> Did he spoil me? No! I remember quite clearly it was 1946 and I was four years old. My mother took me to see King Vidor's Duel of the Sun. You've got to say, I'm a human being! God damn it! My life has value! Babel, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. I'm a man! Well? Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Al film italiano Deserto Rosso di Michelangelo. It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them, and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math. Three artists in the presentation of the Palm d'Or. Adele, Leia, and Abdel Abdel Kishin. We won! Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh. Oh, I did not know that. This is the Filmotomy Podcast. Um, I'm your host, B Garner. And today we're discussing box office, box office bombs. Or are we calling them flops? Uh, box office belly flops. <laughs> box office belly flops maybe I, I like that um so joining me today uh i don't have robin uh he's uh a o a a w o l mm? i don't know missing in action we'll find him um <laughs> no he's he's uh he's not here but i do have two very wonderful people joining me so who would like to introduce themselves first <laughs> Shall I go? <laughs> of course. Ladies first. Yeah. Ladies first. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm Contrera. Um, I run the podcast Beyond Beckdale, and um, I also um, write about film, and I'm actually making a short film at the moment. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to talk about this because I think uh, one woman's flop is uh, another woman's box office success. I like it. <laughs> and also, I've got another special guest joining me today, and that is Introduce Yourself. <laughs> Hi, this is Kevin. Uh, I've been on the Phenomenon podcast once. Uh, we, we talked about 2007 in film. I am a film critic currently writing for Film Inquiry. Yeah. I so really... it's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back, and it's good to have Conchera here because of obviously uh, Love Beyond Bechdel. That's a great podcast. So, not that we like plugging other people's podcasts <laughs> here, but uh, I do highly recommend it. Um, so there's room. There's room. There for is all. We have to support each other. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, are we going with box office bombs or flops? Flop is a funnier word. Let's go with that. <laughs> Let's love, go with flop. I love saying flop. I feel like it's just the greatest word ever. And <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, bomb sounds a bit like, ooh, a bit scary. It's not appropriate for these times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I feel like flop is, you know, it's, I always think of a big splash, you know, when, when you 
jump in a pool. So, yeah. Well, one of them also sounds more cynical than the other. When you say a movie bombs, it's almost mm. like you're saying it's also a bad movie. When you say a movie is a flop, it's it comes off more like a oops. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, oops, sorry we spent this amount of money on one film and... Uh, yeah, yeah, better luck next time. Yeah. That kind of segues into a question I want to ask, actually, which is how are we defining what a flop is? Is it to do with what was spent making the, the movie versus what it makes at the box office? I think so. But... Well, that's the unfortunate thing about film, right? Because uh, mm. once you ask someone to pay money to see it, Unfortunately, then the movie industry is now a business. I don't know what other way you can really define a flop unless we're talking about money. Well, when I was looking at some of them, and I'm guessing Kevin's got like lots of examples that he wants to talk about. But I do indeed. <laughs> I was kind of thinking... Um, Part of the problem is is that like these films were hemorrhaging money when they were being made. Mm. And if they had been made for half the budget and they made what they then made... Are they then no longer a flop? It feels like there's um there's the expectation versus reality yeah. issue here, and also the spiraling costs of big budget movie making. Yeah, because I think some of the movies that uh, people call flops, say Waterworld, actually made its return, but it's been classed as a box office failure, even though it it eventually made its money back. The same with a film. I love, uh, which I think is, you know, the, probably the worst uh, film of 1999, and that's Wild Wild West, which <laughs> I will defend. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I love that movie, okay? But that was a flop, but it actually broke even and made its budget back, but it it's still regarded as a flop. So it's really hard to sort of, you know, are we like you say, if it was half the budget and then it went back, went on to make what it actually made at the box office, that would be considered a, a, a mild success. Do you know what the budget was of Wild Wild West? A uh, hundred and fifty million dollars. Jesus. Which is an awful lot for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the problem, though. These, these the. When you give people money, they just go crazy with it, and then, <laughs> and then you know, then they're making giant mechanical spiders. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot to say about that movie because um, the set burnt down, and they had to rebuild all the sets. So the oh reason, wow! So the reason, what was the cause? Um, they had a fire. There's a fire scene, like there's, and it got out of control. And they didn't have the people on board, like, at, you know, on the set to put out the fire. So the whole thing burned down. <laughs> so thing. that must have been, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars, oh, I'm guessing. Yeah. And then when it came to test screenings, um, the, the reaction was, oh, we don't like this. So they had to shoot a whole new ending to it. So. so that brings up to uh, one of the other factors. So I, I agree with uh, Contrarer here <laughs> that the budget being too high is indeed one of the factors that affects box office performance. But there's definitely a few other ones. And one of them that B here just brought up is filming 
and post-production stories that became publicly available. Mm. And if you look at a lot of recent uh, flops in the past uh, three years or so, a lot of them underperformed because the public was aware of stories that got out during filming and post-production. You look at Justice League, Solo, Star Wars Story, Dark Phoenix, the Fantastic Four reboot, the female Ghostbusters, a lot of those movies, they our impression of them were kind of solidified already based on stories that got out behind the scenes. And so there was already an impression of how the film would be would perform before it even came out. Yeah. But you're mentioning films there that are also absolutely huge and had mega budgets. So I feel like there's a correlation between how expensive it was, then these um, you know, bad stories coming out, and then perhaps unrealistic box office expectations as well. All of those films were huge, a lot spent on them, they were marketed heavily, and we're now in a kind of, um, if you're making a big superhero movie, for example, you're expected to make a billion or you're not a success. I kind of feel like the, the modern examples of what's a flop is just because of these ridiculously high expectations of massive amounts of box office return. When if you look at it in terms of multiples, then there are some that, you know, it cost 10 million, but it made 100 million. And suddenly that's like, you know, 10 times. Whereas these that we're talking like, it's now what I don't know, a Marvel films on average $300 million, I'm getting to make maybe more, I don't know. And then trying to get that back after all the aggressive marketing. And yet if there are stories i think dark phoenix is probably a really good example of that because i just remember hearing loads of bad things about <laughs> it um, and i haven't seen it yet even though i actually want to um mostly because i want to see jessica chastain um but it says it all that i haven't sometimes yeah you're right the flop is um it is because of those stories i agree with you kevin what what, what do you think about netflix though is that partly to do with it like the models for viewing films now in netflix as in, for example, like, yeah, that like subscription service or something. So therefore, how is that? Like, I don't know what Netflix are doing at the moment in terms of how they show whether something is a success or not. They put out these weird marketing updates, but they don't really give any insight into, mm. you know, for example, the whole thing with the... Um, whatever it was called, the murder mystery film with Adam Sandler, which I hated and I watched. <laughs> um, and they said that, oh, like 55 million people or something had looked at it. But I was thinking, yeah, but I like scooted ahead and just watched about half an hour of it. Because it was <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know whether is the model partly to do with it as well, because people aren't necessarily going to the box office. I genuinely thought with Dark Phoenix, I'll watch it when it comes to something that I can get access to at home. Yeah, that's, I, so, that's a fair I, I think you bring up a good point. Mm. Yeah, but I, I think Netflix more, um, I think Netflix affects creativity and um, licenses when it comes to making new titles. See, I think, I think Netflix being a platform that's available to so many other um, creative voices, I think they have that... Uh, I, I, I don't know what's the right word, but they're they're able to play around more with different kinds of material. So you get a lot of experimental titles that no one has really heard of, and the risk is a lot lower to just click on it and try it out. And as a result, I think this platform has caused movie studios to play even more safely with what kind of movies they're releasing. Mm-hmm. 
So you're getting a lot of sequels, a lot of reboots that movie studios believe that can make some money because it's something that audiences are familiar with. And so you end up getting movies that are familiar while Netflix put out more original content. I think in that way, it kind of affects the box office. But then in that sense, box office is still really high because when it's something familiar, everyone's going to go see it. I mean, you look at Lion King. Lion King is at what, $1.3 billion now? Yeah, a film that was totally unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) My opinion, except for Beyonce, maybe. Certain films that were um, box office bombs like, you know, 20 years ago, you know, a decade ago or so, they might have had a chance to potentially make their money back by you know, home video and, and rentals. That's how I, I think Fight Club ended up making its money back because people forget that Fight Club was actually a massive, you know, disaster when it came out. I think it cost $63 million to make mm. and made $37 million at the box office. It's, a, it's rated 18, though, and had some, like, graphic stuff, didn't it? So I suppose, I think maybe things are slightly different nowadays, but I, I'm a little less surprised that it didn't make that straight away but are you saying sorry so that so it wasn't considered a flop in the end because of what it made on rental yeah it was you know made so much and you know dvd sales and you know home rental and all that that it became you know went on to make money certain films that i think are being released like say booksmart or late night would have perhaps fared better you know on amazon or you'd, yeah. you know, or or as an, a Netflix original, because those are the type of films that people who it's it's sad, but people people would rather go watch, you know, a big box, uh, you know, box office film like uh, Lion King remake than watch original content now, because we've almost become so used to it. Uh, it's family friendly isn't it everybody can go go to the Lion King and there's something for everyone and I think the cinema is expensive and if you if you have five choices and uh, five things you might want to see and you only go to the cinema once a month you're not going to pick Booksmart you're going to pick Lion King if they're out at the same time Um, exactly yeah, and I think Olivia Wilde like really tried to sell that. I saw all the stuff she was doing with promotion, and I absolutely loved the film. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Was it was it appealing to a t- to a too female, young, skewed market? I wish I knew more about the demographics. Which, yeah. by the way, is another component I have right here that contributes to a film flopping, which is the target audience being mm. unclear. Oh, the perfect example is Hugo. Right. Ah, yeah. When when Hugo came out, I saw Hugo on opening weekend, and uh, like to go on record and say that that film made me cry my eyes oh, out. I it was one it. of my favorite yeah. films that year. But when it comes to box office and target audience, the film's not really for kids, even though mm-hmm. it stars two kids, because mm-hmm. it's it's not you know, it's not that. Uh, uh, what what's the word? It it doesn't have that entertainment value or. Uh, cartoonish and uh, set pieces that would attract kids, right? Mm-hmm. And then because it stars two child actors, the adults think it's not for them either. 
Right. And you also need to remember when there's a movie made for kids, it's act you actually get double the seats because the kids want to go and then they'll drag their parents to go too. Yeah. And, and maybe because it was so made by Scorsese as well, so I think people just maybe assumed. Yeah, so they're like, why yeah. isn't this about Italian mobsters? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. When's Robert De Niro going to turn up? When's someone going to swear? When are these kids swearing? <laughs> that was on my list as well, as Hugo is one yeah. that, yeah, absolutely, yeah, didn't have a target audience. That sounds like marketing a bit, though, because I don't remember much marketing mm. at the time. But it's it's really tricky, but even if you have that marketing, how, how are you going to market it it's 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 tough you can't exactly market it for kids because it's not it's not a it's definitely not a kids film it's talking about it has way more mature themes in it that is going to go over kids heads Mm. and then when you mark when you market it for adults i guess you can market it as an academy award material movie but i i don't know do you think it's similar to A Wrinkle in Time as well? Because I feel like that's a similar thing where it wasn't a full children's movie and it wasn't an adult movie. And I really enjoyed that, but I totally don't know what the audience was because the book it was from was like 60 years ago. So it wasn't like it was like a, you know, a property that we'd understand like Harry Potter. But um, when I saw the film, I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying this more than I thought because I thought it was a little bit more adult, even though it was about a teenage girl. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I'm not point. sure about A Wrinkle in Time. It's I, I think A Wrinkle in Time is in a really interesting spot because uh, it kind of reminded me of Tomorrowland, which I mm. thought had a really interesting idea, but it actually – and I, I didn't mind it, but it didn't have, it didn't have that much um, – attention grabbing set pieces or scenes or sequences where you don't see it every day so it didn't it ended up being a movie that is not really essential to see in the theater yeah although i did and i quite enjoyed it (laughs) again it's like from going through this list for me personally the the films that are considered the biggest flops seem to be divided into categories in terms of my personal taste some of them are like oh i love that that film is that because perhaps this is off kilter mm-hmm. and others are like yeah i just don't even like the idea i never even saw that i was a bit worried actually because i was like oh no we're we going to talk about all these films and i'll go didn't see it <laughs> didn't well, see it well, well, so one of my favorite films of all time is once upon a time in america a film that is now considered a, a masterpiece but was so long that the studios butchered it. So when it came out, it was two hours, and the film is four hours long, and it has to be four hours long because of its epic story that it's telling. It's telling it over decades. And when the studios recut it, it made no sense. They tried to put it in a chronological order, which ruined the structure of the film, and as a result, nobody went to watch it. I feel like, you know, studios they kind of interfere too much. There's, there's, there's films, you know, like Blade Runner, that flopped when it came out. And the studio tried to put on, they tried to get it recut to have a happy ending, put on a, <laughs> the awful voiceover narration, which just didn't work. Uh, and yeah, a lot of these films that are I consider to be masterpieces, um, you know, have been 
poorly marketed by the studios, so they don't make the movie, uh, they don't make their money back, or they've had too much interference, and they've, you know, they've some idiot with a pair of scissors has come along, cut it up, and sorry, I'm very bitter about. Yeah, but I think you're it, asking, but... I think you're asking too much from audiences because who who is going to go and see a four hour film? That's like the whole Quentin Tarantino exactly your bills. I think that you're a student of cinema, and so you love it. But I think that going back to the business model is that like it, talking of once upon a time. So um, I know um, Bianca, you saw it yesterday as well. I saw one upon a time in Hollywood and I watched people how restless they were I was quite far back in my cinema and I was like obviously there's a there's a whole separate aspect here about the film not necessarily giving what everybody thought they were going to get straight away right, but yeah. also its length and that was two and a half hours I think um uh two hours and 40 minutes oh okay right cool um I which is long um <laughs> I um I, I just watched people just get like steadily steadily like people were looking at their phones like there's, there's a whole separate thing about people can't concentrate now anyway but um that was now and that was like you know probably one of the biggest films of the year it's going to be certainly one of the most talked about and I just thought people just are, are audiences are demanding like instant gratification now and exactly. they don't want more meandering storyline so what something I, I think I, I've noticed a lot on this list actually because I started creating a list as well where you had critical successes and then audiences just didn't like them like one of my favorites is Children of Men right, I think yes. it's an absolutely amazing film and it got I think it got lots of, did it get any awards it certainly got nominations at the Oscars and um and people use it in film school now, you know. There's all these shots that um, people follow and look at Quaron's career. But um, I, I think it made half its budget. I think it was something like 60, 70 million and it made 35. Um, whereas I, you know, even... It barely when, made it back. Yeah. Oh, did it? Okay, in the end. So maybe that was just the US domestic. I don't know. But um, uh, I, I was just shocked that... Um, there could be this chasm between what's an audience flop and what's critically adored. And the thing is, who is going to go to the theater and pay to watch uh, a movie that, uh, that's so dystopian where <laughs> yeah. there's no children left? <laughs> yeah. Dystopian movies tend to not have the best. Record. Yeah, this is where I get upset because I'm like, it's one of my favorite types I know. of movies. I love dystopian so, films. I'm... So one thing that we we need to we need to acknowledge is um, not not just the three of us, but anyone who is a critic or a writer of film, we need to acknowledge that we live in a bubble of mm. uh, accepting and consuming any kind of film, and a lot of people are they seek mm. film as a form of entertainment, as a form of gratification and satisfaction. And that's why it's easier to get that if you're familiar with the material. So I agree with you, B, that studio interference is definitely one of the factors with Once Upon a Time in America and the original Blade Runner. But if you look at Blade Runner 2049, that was a film that completely catered to the cult fan base of the original Blade Runner and, and it's still it. <laughs> considerably underperformed yeah. you know because who's going to watch a three hour long film of a dystopia with really droning music from Hans Zimmer <laughs> really slow 
but beautiful cinematography and Ron Gosling in it. Yeah. And 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 you uh, you know I hear the average moviegoer not liking Ryan Gosling. Like a common <gasps> criticism I hear is he makes yeah, he's the same quite controversial. in every film. Yeah. You he know, also goes dark now. That, yeah. I can understand yeah. why others would. And so yeah, studio interference is one of them, but I think a lot another bigger factor is just the reality of who is the movie for. Yeah, there's a genre issue there as well, isn't there? Which is that, you know, it's a fact that a big proportion of moviegoers are are of certain fan bases. So whether it's your uh, Star Wars or your Lord of the Rings and Tolkien projects or um, it's Marvel um, or even DC to a certain extent, um, that's a ready-made audience who are like rabid for anything that comes out. But I think maybe, Kevin, you probably wanted to talk about this because you were talking about Solo. Um, there, there is still a saturation point. I actually have not seen Spider-Man Far From Home, which is the first one after, what is it, 22? Is it the 23rd? New, for the, is it the first Phase 4 film of MCU, whatever it is? But anyway, I, I didn't... Well, 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 Kevin Feige claims it's the last of the Phase 3. Okay. But I should want to see that. And I absolutely loved Avengers and I saw Endgame twice. But then I thought, actually, I'm not so keen. I'm not desperate to go and see Far From Home because I couldn't see where it was going after that. And I'd also spent a lot of time and money on, uh, you know, 22 films. So um, I think to a point, ready-made audiences and especially of certain genre, whether it's action, superhero, um big big fantasy property have those ready-made audiences but also even they're now pushing audience participation to the limit so you you mentioned solo solo i think is a very very fascinating example because a lot of people were confused as to how did it flop right and we mentioned uh so far in this chat a lot of components that affect a film to flop. And I think Solo got hit by a ton of those components. It's not just one, it's like four of them. Uh, mm. First of all, it got hit by the filming post-production controversies that became mm. public because originally the so- Solo was going to be directed by um, the Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. And then they got kicked out of the project. It became, um, oh God, the name escapes me. Ron right, right now. It became Ron Howard, yeah. right? So there was that incident, right? Then and then there was a uh, rumors of rewrites and reshoots, right? So that so it got hit by one component, right? Then it got hit by another, which is the typical. You've got big films that were released very very close to when when Solo came out. So when Solo came out, it was rivaling Deadpool two, yeah. and <laughs> even though it came out three weeks after Avengers: Infinity War everyone in the world was talking about Avengers Infinity War, specifically, you know, the last 20 minutes of that film. Everyone was talking about it. So the attention was gone for Solo. So that's the second component. Then you got the third component, which is Solo actually doesn't have Jedi in it, any Jedi in it. And it made me realize, like, even for me, seeing Solo, I realized, wow, a big appeal of Star Wars is watching the lightsabers. And Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so when you watch Solo, it's really just a bunch of people shooting at each other, and it, it just happens to have some costume design and droids that remind you that this is in a Star Wars universe. 
And then lastly, the budget was $250 million. So there you have a film that was affected by four components that caused it to not make as much money as someone, uh, the average person would think. Isn't there a fifth as well, which is the, um, it was the uh, the shortest time period between Star Wars films? Wasn't it as well? So it came out... I, I wondered if that I remember reading something about that, like normally it was one a year and then they 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 put this out because it came mid year, didn't it? Or April or May or something. It was yeah, it was yeah, only yeah. Good, like good Christmas. Call. So people slot. are yeah. now familiar with. Yeah. So people are now familiar with Star Wars being a winter release. So yeah. it was already an awkward decision to have solo premiere in June. I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like films like Mortal Engines was a really bad time for that movie to come out, especially considering it was coming out uh, when Aquaman was coming out. And maybe that mm. film would have done better if it had been a little bit more in a summer release or you know a spring release. It might have fared better, but I don't know what about you guys. Perhaps, perhaps. But I think Moral Engines falls into yet another component I have on my list here, which is uh, unfamiliar premise with mm. overwhelming qualities. I See, I put Moral Engines in the same camp as two other films, which is Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets and uh, Jupiter Ascending. They are three films in my mind where they have a very dense universe. No, Almost nobody is familiar with this universe. And it's filled with so many little details that it feels like a club that we're not a member of. I'll I'll give you another one, Kevin, as well. Um, Another one from ages ago, just to add to you, sorry to interrupt you, is um, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I think that kind of fits in with that as well, even though it's from, like, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, It's the same thing, a dense universe. They're like the modern ones. You're totally right. Those three films are so similar in the sense that there's this high fantasy, space fantasy, but it's complicated sorry i interrupted you no no it's, it's okay and and these three films like I, I hate to i hate to assume what the studio executives are thinking like, I, I hate to assume that but <laughs> when you see those three films on the surface my impression is wow that studio definitely said to themselves we need our own avatar right <laughs> right well, the Matrix, there's a few things that have worked, you know. You, you can still have a complex universe. Even looking at something like John Wick, which has all these kind of rules and things. Okay, it's heavy action and, you know, gunplay and stuff. But um, it's something about the space fantasy, I feel like. Sure, it, but, but, there's, but every world you create, that world has a scope. It needs a scope. And if you're creating a brand new world, you have to make sure that world resonates with an audience first. So with a film like John Wick, that has a lower risk because it's a smaller universe. The scope of its genre is also smaller. So it can Mm. easily, even if it doesn't make that much money, it can easily find a cult following. And then that cult following would easily become a a fan base that would come back and pay money to see a sequel, which is why John Wick 2 and 3 are doing pretty well, (laughs) right? But when you have something like um, Mortal Engines, valerian and jupiter ascending i respect their world building but they you know they go from zero to a hundred instantly and they it's a big ask to have the audience accept all of it and be back for a sequel which is why i I know a lot of the i know a lot of hardcore fans for this one but i i really fear for its sequel which is um alita battle angel 
it has a similar quality in my mind, which is insane world building, really expensive, has a lot of setup and exposition that could have been that burden could have been let go if they just made the scope of the film a little smaller. Get your fan base first, then come back and make a second one. I have what? Yes, yeah, sorry. I have one that um, my there's a category I think for kind of unexpected you think you're getting something and you're getting something else which is probably where Hugo fits Mm. um particularly when you think you know a certain director's work and another one I have is Black Hat um which is a film I really like (laughs) but did not do very well at all and was completely outside of what Michael Mann normally does um and it's yeah it's okay all right Kevin Um, it's kind of farcical when you think of Chris Hemsworth um, as being this like super coder, but and it's very long. Although Michael Mann films are all pretty long, um, I really enjoyed it, and I liked the way he tried to visualise like the internet and uh, you know things that were that are quite hard to put other than like ones and zeros. Um, but because it did so badly in relation to perhaps everything else that people who'd been to previous man films, because I'm guessing Collateral was probably the film before that, which had done really well. And, you know, the man that made heat, um, it was just so different. Um, but I have quite a soft spot for it, but I completely understand that that was not giving an audience, um, either a kind of enjoyable action experience or something that they'd come to appreciate from that director. So, so regardless, I'm not going to talk about the quality of the <laughs> film Black Hat, but regardless of the quality of that film, there was one reason and one reason only why that film did not perform well, and that was the studio chose to release it in the dead month of January. Oh, yeah. And it's, a, it's one of those um, cycles. One thing feeds into the other, which then feeds into the other again. See, the dead month of January, nobody... That that's the month where the least amount of people would pay money to go to the theater. And so studios would tend to release films that they know would not perform well in that month. There's some genres now which just don't work with audiences. You know, like the the epic swords and sandals genre, uh, aside from Gladiator, I can't really think of a... a a film that's really done that well but people still keep trying to get on that, yeah. get on that gladiator you know i can think of so many that didn't do well alexander did exodus do that well no no uh, yeah no. and then there was the really good one i again i enjoyed this oh what was the one with um you're not forget don't forget the ben hur remake right, and that yeah. really dumb pompeii movie Oh yeah, Pompeii with Kit, Kit bless Kit Harrington. You really. No, I was thinking of the one with um Superman in it. Um, what was that called? It had t- a ton of famous people. I saw that at the cinema. It was based on um fables. Um, uh, what's his name? Superman. Who who's Henry, who's Henry Yeah, Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill's in it. Oh, and it has really? Rosamund Pike. It has. Oh, it has loads of famous people in it. I don't think it did that well, but I saw it and enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't know how how um, Myth and Legend does now. Because oh, you're talking about Immortals? Immortals, the Immortals, yes. Or is it Immortals? Yeah. Immortals, yeah. Yeah, did you like it? Uh, 
that film's like that film's okay. It's like a, it's like relativity saying, "Oh, we need a 300." Yeah. Oh, well, 300 was a good example. Though that worked. That, yeah, that, but that, that didn't was... have much of a budget, I don't think. No. And mm. that was a bit unexpected. And then it came. Then that awful sequel came out. I was just going to say in the sequel. <laughs> oh, the sequel. Well, Zack Snyder style could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, Kevin, are there any um, are there any bombs that you like? <laughs> oh well, so there was one bomb that I really liked. I was upset that it bombed, but it kind of makes sense how it bombed, and okay. this leads to another interesting conversation we could have, which is um, the a film flopping can I, can kind of depend on where it flopped. Right. It could have done well as a in terms of worldwide box office, but it flopped in the U.S. You know, and the example I'm thinking of is Pacific Rim. Oh, I thought you were going to say Snowpiercer, because that. Oh, that, that that's also... an interesting example too. Did it? But did, did it even get a release? I thought it it didn't have a release in the U.S. Snowpiercer, or did it? And it just didn't do well. Snow Snowpiercer w- went through a really. Uh, Really bad post-production, uh, yeah, with, well, not post-production, a, a release controversy between yeah Harvey uh-huh. Weinstein and the, and the director, where Harvey Weinstein suggested the cut to be changed a different way so that the audience would understand it better, and then the director refused, and and then Weinstein says, "Do the change, or else I'm releasing it to only ten thousand theaters," and then he says, "Okay." <laughs> You have a you have a film like Pacific Rim and only made a hundred million dollars in the U.S. against a two hundred million dollar budget. Only made a hundred million. Yeah, but if that, if that's half its mega budget, yeah, then that's right. well, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, a hundred million is a lot, but it only made a hundred. Given given that that movie was marketed so much, mm. like everyone's talking about, hey, giant robots fighting giant monsters. Everyone <laughs> should come and see it, and barely anyone did. Yeah. Yeah, they missed out, but then they got uprising, which is not better. <laughs> it's not better. No, but it has some cute, it has some cute characters in it, and also you has some tell, female characters. Yeah. Every other minute in uprising, you can tell that the film is trying to cater to Chinese audiences. <laughs> yes, yes. Every time you're watch, every minute I was watching uprising, I was thinking, "Oh my god, this movie really did get made for China." <laughs> alone. Yeah. And it didn't help when the theater I went to happened to have Chinese subtitles during that screening. <laughs> <laughs> but then the Meg, the Meg was like kind of made towards a Chinese audience. I always thought, and that did really well, didn't it? There's a sequel coming out soon, isn't there? Or being made? There, there is, yeah. And I think I think the Meg succeeded for a couple reasons. Number one is that it knows that it's ridiculous. And it knows it just wants to have a fun time. It it wants to capitalize on the ridiculousness by having the shark be even bigger. Like you don't even have to, you don't even have to take into consideration that the Meg is an actual creature that lived on this earth. You don't even need that. You could come up with the most ridiculous excuse to have the shark be that big, and people will want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... You know, and even I have to admit that I fell for its trailer. I thought the trailer was hilarious and stylistic. Too bad yes. the film itself wasn't that great. I loved the film. There was something about it that I, th- I, I kind of leaned back and just thought, this is stupid and I'm going to enjoy it. 
So yeah, I, I understand. I understand that. I, I'm mixed on the film because when the film's trying to have fun and be stupid, I I had fun with it. But I, as an Asian critic, I was really bugged by how the film treated its Asian characters. It, it really fell into That's some fair. stereotypes yeah. on how Hollywood handles them, and so it kept taking me out of the movie every single time. So I couldn't have fun with it as much as I hoped. And talking about that, the reverse is like Crazy Rich Asians, which did so well in America and then wasn't appreciated in China. And I don't blame the Asian audiences because I only watched it recently because I had a feeling and um, I felt incredibly uncomfortable through the vast majority of the film. Because yeah, Crazy Rich Asians I yeah. really liked, but you could tell like as an Asian person, I could tell that that film was written and directed by an Asian American. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of um, character traits and story beats that I don't mind, but you can tell that they are a, they are a westernized philosophy behind those character decisions and and uh, plot choices. So I could tell I, I understand how the film alienated uh, mainland Chinese audiences. See, compared that to. Um, the farewell. I think the farewell would do a lot better with Chinese audiences. But then you have the problem of the farewell being a much smaller film. I can't wait to see it though. It's had a lot of good press, so hopefully, that I don't think that'll be a, a flop. That'll be the opposite. It'll definitely like you know quadruple its budget, which probably wasn't that big. Yeah, it's my favorite film of the year so far. Oh, I'm, I'm keen to check yeah. it out now. Um, mm-hmm. so I just. <clears throat> Before we sort of wrap this up, I'll just say that I asked Twitter uh, for some some of their favourite films that happen to have been flops at the cinema, and the response was amazing. I mean, oh my gosh, people are, you know, uh, I saw a lot of love for Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. uh, also mm-hmm. uh, Children of Men. Um, Joe reminded me that Call Me By Your Name made zero money at the box office, which was a shock um well i don't know whether homophobia is a shock yeah, i still think well, that's, people think that's not mainstream even though you know that's the, the what did that really have to do with anything uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I wish i was more surprised i think that they fall into this interesting category where studios trust the filmmaker mm. and the studio would always back up what the filmmaker is doing and so uh, Guadagnino and uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and the, the Coen brothers, they can mm. make a film that flops and they'll be fine. They'll, they'll always get their next project. Well, Guadagnino, um, uh, he's, he's kind of like in the nicest possible way, he's quite small, isn't he? So I don't think he's asking for huge budgets. He just wants enough money to That's make true. his next project. Um, yes, and I love yes. his films. I like I liked The Bigger Splash. I thought it was a brilliant film. And, and I think probably even fewer people saw that than, than saw Call Me By Your Name. Right. And, and PTA, he, um, he does make money back, though, every now and again. <laughs> so, and I think Phantom Thread did okay, considering... Mm. Well, um, I tell but you, then he thought, yeah, go on. Well, I was just saying, a director who, a male director who's still continuing to do okay, although I haven't really heard anything from them recently, is um, the guy who did Donnie Darko, whose name is escaping me. Richard. Uh, Richard. Donna? Uh, Donna? No. Uh, no. Richard, Richard Kelly. 
Richard Kelly. <laughs> no, Richard Donner someone's completely Richard Donner did very well back in the day. Yeah. But um Donnie Darko was a hit. Uh wasn't a success at the box office, but was a hit on home video, which gave yeah. him the money to go and make Southland Tales, which was a major flop. Um <laughs> but then he still went back and I think he made the box with Cameron Diaz. So I'm not sure whether that did well, but I, I'm pretty sure he's made... made I think it did okay. I don't think it was a flop. No, um, no. I don't think it was great either. But he's still kicking about, and he's still give, someone's still giving him money. The same with M. Knight, you know? he's Yeah, M. Knight's still getting stuff, yes. He's a perfect example, though, that he can make an absolute terrible film that's a flop, like The Last Airbender. And then... Time um... and time again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, After Earth, anyone? Um... Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> but then we but, have Split like and Glass. So, yeah. Uh, I, I like what he did after Last Airbender, though, because... Um... I kind of liked The Visit. And if you look mm. up how The Visit was made, he used his own money to fund that film. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's because The Visit did okay and the reception to it was okay that he was able to get uh, Glass out there. Right. Oh, oh no, how he was Split. able to get uh, yeah. the work before that. Split, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, everything was quiet for a bit. He made Wayward Pines. He did some kind of TV stuff, didn't he? But... Um, but but it is so hard. Like I have a very soft spot for Shyamalan because I think that when your first, or not your first film, but virtually your first film, it has this amazing twist, and it's like you are at the peak and you can only go down. So the fact that he brought everything together by Glass, which I've heard mixed things about, but I think it did really well because Split did so well. But I know yes. people, were, some people were disappointed by it. I absolutely loved it um, because I thought it blended Split and Unbreakable, which is something that I don't, I don't even know if another director has done. Really, if you, you know, we should give uh, films that flop a, a bit of a chance, you know, and, and, and do seek them out because, like I said, um, one, of the great, one of the greatest films that's ever been made, Citizen Kane, was a flop and has is now considered one of the greatest films ever made so you know give yeah it, a give flop it, give it time. Cinema. yeah exactly so you know we'll give it time well give the lesson time. they the lesson that we learn here is money is only temporary the right. real legacy of a film is its fans the, exactly. the love for it that's yeah. what makes a film become ageless over time it's not money and and being able to seek it out i think that i think moving to this more streaming model there, there's the good and the bad because the the bad is that you only get served certain things so you miss out on other things but the good is if you're looking for something you might be able to get hold of it rather than have to like you know back in the day try and buy a dodgy vhs or dvd or something so i kind exactly. of hope that word of mouth through the 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 like on-demand model will help something box office will no longer be the only marker of its financial success it will just be like a long tail rather than short tail <laughs> <laughs>